God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Father, tonight as we study this passage, show us the necessity, God, of, of living daily and showing your love to those around us. Living daily and allowing your peace to encompass us. And living daily, Father, with a desire for your word to consume us. I pray tonight that these truths become evident. I pray that we'll be tuned in. We'll be listening to what it is you have to say to us. And Father, we will be thankful that we can be here in the moment with you. In Christ's name, amen. You know, folks, it doesn't take long to figure out that we are living in a physical fitness diet crazed society. It seems like why they want to do this between Thanksgiving and Christmas, that is the wrong time of year to start pushing diet stuff. I mean, I, I'm not the smartest guy around, but I think I would wait till after New Year's. I get that New Year's resolution, might have a little extra kick in it, you know, to go with a diet program. All kinds of diets. I saw one not long ago, and I thought that would definitely work for me. I could give that a try. It was cauliflower, and uh, I didn't get past cauliflower, to be honest with you, because if it's got cauliflower in it, I'm not going to eat it. So if that's the diet I could go with, then I, yeah, I would be fine. I guess I would be healthy in a few weeks, uh, because I'm not going to eat cauliflower and kumquat juice and banana peeling or whatever it was that the... Uh, the diet had, but you know, they got all these fad diets out there, and it's amazing to me because most nutritionists are going to tell you if you're going to live a long, healthy life, then there's several things got to be true. Number one, you got to have a balanced diet. You need nutrition. Uh, you need to have calories, nutritious calories, between 2,000 and depending on how big you are, 2,500 or around that uh, every day. You also need to exercise at least 20 minutes a day. Also, I found out that you needed a wide range of nutrients. For instance, these diets that cut out certain things completely, they're bad for you. Uh, fat, people don't realize this. Dietary fat, it helps in absorption of fat-soluble vitamins. Proteins, like proteins in red meat and amino acids in red meat helps with tissue repair. It's pivotal for cell growth. Carbohydrates, they provide fuel for the brain. That's the primary fuel source for our brains. Now, omitting any of these nutrients is a bad thing. They claim you got to have that balance in all that you do. So there are certain nutrients that you need to have in your life, and I'm sure there are others that you shouldn't have if you're going to be healthy physically. I think a lot of us, though, we, we tend to uh, lean more toward, and you'll like this, Miss Piggy's Guide for Diet Tips. Uh, you know, I love the Muppets, and I found this not long ago. I want you to listen to some of these. This is Miss Piggy's tips, diet tips for life. If nobody sees you eat it, it doesn't have any calories. <laughs> and I love this one, because I've seen so many people do this. If you drink a diet soda while eating a candy bar, it's okay. They cancel each other out. <laughs> calories don't count if you eat with someone and you both eat the same amount. Food taken for medicinal purposes does not count. This includes uh, toast and jelly, hot chocolate, and Sara Lee chocolate cakes. If you fatten up everybody around you, you'll look thinner. Uh, snacks consumed at the movie, they don't count. They're part of the entertainment. 
Now, like this one, pieces of cookies contain no calories. The process of breaking causes a calorie leakage. <laughs> and then this is my favorite one. Never eat more than you can lift. <laughs> Somebody said this. They said there's one thing to be said about diets. It certainly improves your appetite. Now, I'll go along with that. Well, the reason I'm talking about this, just like to, to live healthy physically, it includes a diet of nutrition, well, spiritually speaking, to have a healthy spiritual life, it also includes a certain diet. God has a nutrition list for every believer to follow, and in order, and the reason is to enhance our spiritual well-being and health. There are certain spiritual foods that we should consume. There are certain matters, spiritual matters, folks, which enhance our spiritual health. And there are other spiritual matters which endanger or are a detriment to our spiritual health. So tonight in this passage, and I want you to kind of get this in your mind, go with me on this. The Apostle Paul, he takes on the role of a spiritual trainer, a spiritual nutritionist. And he unveils God's list for healthy, happy, wholesome Christian living. Now, God's list consists of three primary things, elements or ingredients. And number one, the first one, the first tip we have is let the love of God clothe us. Look at verse 14. Again, he says, and above all these things, put on charity. Put on love. In other words, over all these things, put on love. <clears throat> the idea here is, is putting or slipping on a garment to clothe yourself. Now that phrase, uh, the phrase is used in this passage specifically in Colossians 3 where it talks about putting off and then putting on. Uh, folks, that was used in the day, and I think I've told you this before, in Paul's day, uh, it described the initiation ceremonies of pagan religions. When somebody would put off one garment and put on another one, what it meant was it was symbolic of their status changing before the gods, having assumed a new role. So new clothing was symbolic of a new status. I love the way one commentary writer puts this. He says, when God creates a new man, he's talking about when God saves us, instead of taking him to his glory home, he is careful to play the part of a tailor in providing suitable clothing for his son to wear. His son's dress now must conform to his nature, position, and purpose in life. So the father brings him into the dressing room to take the articles of clothing most suited to his new position and his new person and station in life, and there the father clothes him. And that's what Paul's talking about when he tells us to put on. <clears throat> In verse 14, when he says, And above all these things, put on charity. Now, we're told to put off. You remember back in uh, verse 8 and 9? It's been a month or so ago. I want you to turn back there. Look at verse 8 and 9. We're told to put off some things. Chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, Malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So we're told first to put off certain things. That corrupt, that sinful behavior, that corrupt sinful flesh nature. And now Paul encourages us to put on something. And particularly Paul reminds us to put on to wear and to be clothed with love. Now I want you to notice first the priority that this love forms. Now, if I were to ask you, what's the most important thing uh, in the Christian life? What would your answer be? Would it be find and follow the will of God? That's a good one. 
Uh, maybe somebody say, well, it's to evangelize. Somebody else would say it's to be involved in mission endeavors. Somebody else would say this or that. Now, And all these are good and correct answers in their own sense. But folks, the only answer, the best answer, uh, is in verse 14 because it's all inclusive. Notice what he says. The answer is given. Paul says again, above all these things, put on charity. Over all these other things that have been listed, he says, put on charity. Charity. This virtue is to form the priority in the Christian's life. It's to take preeminence in every endeavor that we do. This quality of love that Paul's talking about is to be above all things. But the question is, above what things? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 12. 12 and 13. Paul tells us there in this chapter, verse 12 and 13, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So before we can do any of the things that we just read in those two verses, first we must form the priority of love in our life and allow the love of God to cover all this. It's the love of God that's... Uh, I heard one preacher say it's the fountain of Christian character. One preacher said this. He said the Christian life is not a collection of virtues. It consists of love and action. And let me explain what he's saying here with a passage of Scripture that everybody's familiar with. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. The Apostle Paul being led by the Holy Spirit, he explains the, the necessity of love, of this divine virtue. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity or love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity or I have not love, it profiteth nothing. Do you see the importance that Paul gives there? Well, Jesus did too. In John <clears throat> chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus, speaking of this type of love, said, This shall all men know that you're my disciples. What? If you have love one for another. The love of God, the Bible teaches us, is to be shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to the point that we love what God loves and we love who God loves. Love is to be that outer garment. Love is to be the Christian's robe of royalty. It's to be... a uh, to be our mark of dignity. It must form the priority above everything else that we seek to do and seek to be. But secondly, I want you to notice the purpose that love fulfills. Now, the love that's being spoken of here is a sacred and a special love. It's also a sacrificial love. Paul refers to this, verse 14 again, as the bond of perfectness. That word bond, oftentimes, and your Bible may even have this, oftentimes it's translated as glue or, or adhesive of some kind. And I believe that's a fair translation. The word by itself, that's what it means. But the way the word is used here in this passage, in this context, it's better translated as belt. Now remember, Paul, he's been using the analogy of putting off and putting on a particular garment as it relates to those attitudes, those behaviors that we're to adorn ourselves in as Christians. So what Paul does, he makes the point that love or, or charity is the belt that holds all these other garments in place. That's the picture that Paul's given us in this passage. It's not described as the last because it's least important. No, it's, it's of great 
uh, great importance and great uh, quality. It's the perfecting, finishing quality of the character that Paul's describing. Love needs to be what is over all as a Christian. Does that make sense to everybody? All right, I'll make sure I got that explained right. Love is what keeps all these other virtues in place. I mean, in fact, let me give you a little history on this. Among the Oriental culture of the day that Paul's writing from, dressing was always completed with a common piece of clothing, a garment known as a sash or a girdle or what we'd call a belt. It was the last thing to be put on. And what that did was hold all the other garments in place. So with the sash or without the sash or the girdle or the belt, the garments wouldn't be in place. There'd be no form there. But with the sash and the girdle or the belt on, it gave beauty and composure to the figure. That's the way the love of God is supposed to be in a Christian's life. When we as believers clothe ourselves with this love, it fulfills its purpose by holding all the other Christ-like virtues in place in our life. For example, folks, love holds together, Paul's already given to us, bowels of mercy, mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forbearance, and forgiveness. Love is what holds all those things together. C.H. Spurgeon, he once said, uh, speaking, he said, charity or love is the crowning grace completing the list of virtues required for spiritual maturity. Now, folks, I want you to hear me. And hear me well on this. After years of ministry, I am ever more convinced of one immutable thing. And that is this. We would win more people. We would reach more people. We would help more people if we would simply love more people and love people more. I mean, I, I believe that. After near 30 years of the ministry, that is one thing I can say with certainty. If love was more evident, we would make far greater strides for the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you, the Bible declares it to us. The Lord Jesus deserves and desires it. And believe it or not, a lost world demands that from us. <clears throat> Notice with me the second ingredient on God's spiritual nutrition list. Let the love of God clothe us, but also let the peace of God control us. Look at verse 15. Paul outlines this second ingredient that's necessary to remain spiritually healthy and, and stay spiritually fit. Notice first how the peace of God is to behave or how it behaves in our lives. Paul uses a, an interesting word and analogy to describe how the peace of God is to behave itself in our lives. He states it by encouraging us. Notice what he says. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That word rule is an interesting word. It literally means to act as an umpire. Now, let me explain. In the Greek sports-minded society in Paul's day that he was writing from, that word referred to one who functioned uh, in deciding what was right and wrong in a contest, much like an umpire does today. So what Paul does, being the master teacher that he was, he uses a word that he knew his audience would know, be familiar with, and would understand. And what Paul is saying is the peace of God is to make the call in your life. Let me explain it this way. It's to make the final decision regarding matters in your life. Now I want to say this. The peace of God goes hand in hand with the will of God and the Word of God. You hear what I'm telling you? They're all going to go together. You cannot have one without the others. Now we learn from Scripture there are two types of peace that are available to us. There is the peace with God. Now that's given to us the moment that we're saved. The moment that we're justified in, in the sight of God. Then there's the peace of God. That's the peace that Paul's speaking of in our text. Jesus spoke of this peace. John 14, 27. He said, 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now I'm going to say quite possibly the best definition, the greatest definition of peace, uh, the peace of God is found in Philippians 4, 7. It says, the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God in Christ, it's a marvelous peace, miraculous. It is unfathomable and unexplainable, folks. One guy said it like this, it's peace which is a result of divine obedience. John Milton said, he defined it best, he said the peace of God is the divine umpire of the soul. You know what, let me ask, are you, you may be facing a major decision at this time in your life. Now I want to encourage you, Christian, you need to allow the peace of God to make that call in your life and to guide you in that decision. I'm going to tell you, oftentimes <clears throat> through the years, it's been my experience when faced with a difficult decision that after much prayer, much Bible study and seeking God's face and seeking godly counsel, I found there was the peace of God. It was there. Where there are questions, doubts, fears, I knew that the peace of God was absent. But when I was following God's Word, praying and seeking God's face on a decision that I had to make, the peace of God became evident. And I knew that's the right decision to make. I'm going to tell you again, the peace of God will not lead you one way and the Word of God leads you another. The peace of God will not lead you one way and the will of God leads you another. They're all three going to lead in the same direction. <coughs> Verse 15, we not only see how the peace of God behaves, but how the peace of God blesses. You know, when the peace of God finds its place in the hearts of, of God's children, it blesses in a wonderful way. Look at the last part of verse 15. Paul describes it. He said, To the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Now, I've heard a lot of guys teach over this passage and preach over this passage over the years, but there's an interesting point that's oftentimes overlooked right here in this verse. And that point is simple. Paul has been speaking about how the peace of God is to rule and govern our lives personally. But notice how he shifts gears. Now he's speaking about how the peace of God is to rule and govern our lives corporately. As a church. As a, as a church body. And the point is clear to me, folks. It's simple. When the peace of God fills and floods the hearts of believers, then the peace of God is going to fill and flood the church as a whole. That is, when God's peace reigns in our hearts, there's going to be harmony. There's going to be unity in the body of Christ. Think with me, and I'll prove my point. Think with me a moment uh, how often we hear about church trouble, church splits, and church disagreements nowadays. And I know we, ever since church has existed, I'm sure that's happened, but it seems like it's happening all the time anymore. I got to tell you, week in, week out, I hear about problems and splits and, and fights in the church, you know, and, and how. How much I think about how much of those problems could simply be avoided if the peace of God was ruling in that congregation. You know, so many churches... Now let me just say this. God's called us not to be troublemakers, but peacemakers. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, so many churches remind me of two porcupines I heard about. These two porcupines, it was cold, so they got together. So they can survive the winter. But when they got close together, they began to prick and poke one another. And so they decided they'd separate. Well, when they did, they almost froze to death. So they decided, well, it's worth the aggravation just to come back together then. So they come back together and they continue to needle each other and they were miserable all winter long. 
So many churches are like that. They're miserable. Why? Because the peace of God is not ruling in the hearts of the people. So thereby it's not ruling in that congregation. <clears throat> How true it is in the lives of churches. They, many believers, they want to needle each other. You know, this member's upset with this member. This Christian comes against this Christian. I'm angry with you. And before you know it, you got something that resembles more of a union meeting. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been in union or been in union meetings. Anybody hear union? Been in union meetings? Am I the only one? There's a couple. You guys know what I'm talking about. You have something that resembles a union meeting or sometimes even a barroom brawl. Let me tell you something. Those things and that attitude should never be with God's children in God's house. Listen to me. When the peace of God performs this behavior in my life, then the peace of God produces blessings in your life and others' lives. If the peace of God's in my heart and the peace of God's in your heart, then there's going to be peace in the heart of the church. That's just the simple fact of the matter. Now often, folks, I find it interesting that those who cannot get along with other people, they usually can't even get along with themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Those types of people, they generally criticize in others what they know is wrong deep down in their own heart. If, and it's simple but true. If there is peace in your heart toward God, there'll be peace in your heart toward God's people. Paul says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Now I want you to see the third thing. Number one, let the love of God clothe us. Let the peace of God control us. And then let the word of God consume us. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is the final key ingredient, folks, in God's nutrition list that keeps us spiritually fit and healthy. The word of God is to consume every aspect of our life. Now notice how Paul outlines this. He talks about the place that the word of God is to have in our lives. Notice that phrase, verse 16. Dwell in you richly. That word dwell literally means to be at home, to make its abode there. We're reminded, folks, that, that the Word is not only to have a place in our lives, it's to have the place in our lives. It's not just a book, it's the book. And we need to understand that. Paul is saying that the Word of God is to find its home, its dwelling place in our hearts. Folks, we're to welcome the Word, receive the Word, we're to treasure the Word, we're to follow its instructions and directions. I'm going to say what I've said twice. I'm going to say it one more time. I can assure you any direction the Word of God gives will be encompassed by the peace of God and it will include the will of God. <clears throat> the second thing <coughs> concerning the Word of God in our lives is the production of the Word from our lives. I remember a story. Charles Spurgeon was approached by a young seminary student one time. And this young preacher had a great desire to know the Lord Jesus more and, and to serve the Lord more. But he was deeply troubled. He said, uh, he said, Pastor, he said, there are many things about the Bible I don't understand. <coughs> Spurgeon very wisely smiled at him, put his arm around his shoulder and said, Son, you have to expect God to know some things that you don't understand. Folks, verse 16 informs us that the Word of God is to dwell in us richly in order. Why is it to dwell in us richly? We'll look at the next word. You richly in all wisdom. Wisdom. And then Paul goes on to mention other characteristics of, of the Word's production in our lives. Because notice what he says, verse 16. 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Folks, the Word of God is productive in our lives because it helps us to live an insightful life. It creates a desire in us to teach the Word and become more knowledgeable of the Word. You see, once I, folks, desire to know the Word of the Lord more, then I'll desire to know the Lord of the Word more. <clears throat> the Word of God's productive not only because it helps us to live an insightful life, but also because it helps us to live a helpful life. It causes us to be involved in ministry. Notice how Paul says it, admonishing one another. You see, God's Word becomes a source of encouragement for me, and when it becomes a source of encouragement for me, it becomes a source of encouragement for the lives of other Christians as well. The Word of God is also productive because it leads me to live a joyful life. You know, and I don't know if you're like this, as I study and get to know God better through His Word, it creates in me a heart, a life of joy. The do you ever study God's Word and you just have an overwhelming sense of joy in your heart? Gratitude in your heart? You know, you, 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 maybe you're dealing with a difficult situation or problem and you come across a verse of Scripture and God just brings it alive. It bursts the flame. And that's exactly what you needed at that point in time. The Word of God, it leads us to live a joyful life. And one of the ways in which the joy of the Lord expresses itself, Paul says it right here, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now I realize, I'm going to say something here, and I'll probably step on some toes, but that's okay. Uh, you ought to be used to it by now. Folks, it's obvious to me when we come to church, and we go through the motions, and we can't sing praises to God, there's something wrong in our heart. You say, preacher, I'm not a very good singer. That doesn't matter. That doesn't make a bit of difference. When you come in, you ought to have enough joy in your heart that you're going to sing praises to God. And you're going to mean it. Not because of what others may think, but because of what God thinks. <clears throat> I read a story, and I'm going to close here for tonight. I read a story some time ago about a missionary in London. He found a woman in the last stages of a, of a deadly disease. And, and he found her in a flat in an apartment building that was so cold and so poverty-ridden. And he came over to her. And as he knelt down and drew close to her to help, she managed a faint smile. She looked into his face and said, It's okay. I have all that I really need. I have Christ. Now hearing that, Charles Wesley wrote these words. In the heart of London's city, amid the dwellings of the poor, these bright golden words were uttered, I have Christ, what one I more. Spoken by a lonely woman dying on a garret floor, having not one earthly comfort, she said, I have Christ, what one I more. He who heard, heard them ran to fetch her something from the world's great store. It was needless, died she, saying, I have Christ, what one I more. Oh, my dear, my fellow saint, high or low or rich or poor, can you say with deep thanksgiving, I have Christ, what want I more? I'm going to close right here, folks. I don't know how well you seek to care for yourself physically, but I do know if you desire to care for yourself spiritually, then there's certain things you need to do. Number one, you need to allow the love of God to clothe you. You need to allow the peace of God to control you, and you need to allow the Word of God to consume you. And you know what? When we do that, then we're able to say as well like this lady, I have Christ. What want I more?
I'm going to tell you, these three nutritional aspects of the Christian life that I've given you tonight, if you'll follow those, you'll begin to understand what contentment really means. What great gift is contentment, amen? People all around are looking for it and searching for it. It's easy to find. It's in Christ. I have Christ. What one I'm more? Do you bow your heads, please? <clears throat> Father, I pray that we would take to heart the words that we have heard tonight. That we as your children would understand the importance of your love being evident in our life. The importance of us showing that love to one another and to a lost world. That, Father, if we don't have love, it doesn't matter what else we think we have. If anything that we do for your glory, for your honor and praise is not done out of a heart filled with love, then, Father, it don't mean anything. I pray that we would understand that importance. We would understand the importance of allowing peace to to rule in our lives, your peace. And Father, we would know that, that, that your peace is never false. It's never fading. It's always true. And Father, I pray that we would have a desire for your word, that we would allow your word to consume and direct our lives, that we would not be slack with your word, but we would, with diligence, study it so that we could apply it so that we could could live a life of victory the life that you called us to live and father i pray for those here tonight that perhaps need to make a decision whether it is to rededicate their life or or maybe to establish that relationship with you maybe they've never given up on pride and given up on self given up on on ritual and works and they have never by faith simply just, just accepted the gift of grace that you offer. That tonight would be the night. Father, thank you that you desire to have an intimate relationship and fellowship with each and every one of us. And, and, and Father, show us if there's anything in our life that's keeping us from having that type of relationship with you. Expose it. Bring it to the light of our conscience. So that we might repent. And we might draw closer to you in Christ's name. Amen. You stand, please. I can hear
Don't forget Bible study this week, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. I guess they want to. Everything's back in swing this Wednesday night. We'll be having the Bible study here. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis still. Uh, we're having choir practice after church, somebody tell me. Yeah. Having choir practice. Okay. All right. If you wasn't, I was going to go back to Colossians 3 for another few minutes, but, but since you are, I'll, I won't. Uh, any other announcements I need to make before we dismiss? Thank you, brother. James Sprayberry's mother had a pretty serious stroke. She's in the hospital at St. Francis. Remember to pray for her. You remember what her first name is? Martha. Remember to pray for Martha. Any others? All right, let's be dismissed. Father, thank you again for the privilege of coming together and joining uh, our hearts in a time of worship uh, to you and joining our hearts and our minds in a time of study of your word. I pray that we would, uh, we would apply what we've heard tonight, that we would, would have a desire to uh, be spiritually fit, and spiritually stronger, and that we would have a desire for your word and thereby our desire to grow closer to you would be stronger and stronger each and every day. I thank you for our church, for how you have blessed us. I thank you for those that are here tonight. I pray for those who are on our list that are sick or, or uh, uh, having problems of some type. You know the difficulties and what's there. You know what the need is. Father, I pray for James's mother and for, for him and for the family. That God, the comfort that only you could give would be given. That your grace would be known and your presence felt. Uh, Father, in a, in a very real and vivid way. Thank you that you're always near to us and that you're always ready. Father, always ready to have that close, personal, intimate relationship with us. And I pray that we would see what a true blessing that is. In Christ's name, amen.